0: Los Angeles is thought by many to be one of the most glamorous places on earth. Home to the rich and famous, the Hollywood Walk of Fame and several successful movie studios, thousands of people flock there in the hopes of making it big. But behind the glitz and the glamour, LA is also home to thousands of homeless people and has more than its fair share of violent crime. Today, we will be focusing on the dark side of the City of Angels as we uncover the unsolved murder, of Reach Jurvetson. Hello and welcome to the 64th episode of the Uncover True Crime podcast. My name is Stephanie and each week we uncover a different unsolved true crime case, ranging from missing persons, unsolved murders, Jane and John Doe's and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other podcast streaming apps. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Uncover underscore pod, on Instagram at Uncover True Crime Pod, and you can join the Uncover True Crime discussion group on Facebook. But without any further ado, let's uncover the unsolved murder of Riet Jervitsen. Riet Sylvia Jervitsen was born on the 23rd of September 1958 to Arthur and Sylvia. She also had two older siblings, Anne Antoniu. Reports differ on where Riet and her siblings were born. Some sources say Sweden, others say Estonia. However, from the information I was able to gather, I believe that her parents were Estonian, and they later moved to Sweden, which is where I think Reet was born. However, not long after Reet was born, the family moved to Canada, and they settled in Toronto to start a new life. Reet's sister Anne told the Fifth Estate documentary, quote, Reet was a lovely, free-spirited, and happy girl. She was deeply loved by both family and friends, unquote. Anne also said that Reet was very artistic and would often draw some amazing sketches. She was also very adventurous, which didn't quite align with her strict religious upbringing. Some sources say that Reet ran away from home when she was 16, however other sources stated that she moved in with her grandmother. But either way, when she was 16 year old, she ended up moving to Montreal, got a job in a post office and met a young French man called Jean. I want to mention here that some sources refer to this man as John. Jean is the French translation of the name John and this man was French so I think this is where the discrepancy comes from. However, I think it is very important to respect the pronunciations of names from other countries so I will refer to him as Jean. So I'm going to try my best but please excuse me if the pronunciation is not exactly on point. Reet fell head over heels for Jean, who was apparently the spitting image of one of her favourite musicians, Jimmy Morrison. Now, there is also another discrepancy in my sources. Some say that she went to visit her brother in Arizona and had to stop in California on the way. Other sources say that Jean moved to California and Reet followed him there. However, we do know that she and Jean lived in a complex on 5311 Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles, and Reet was very happy there. She sent her family a letter saying how happy she was and And they were happy for her. They didn't hear from her for several decades and they just assumed that she'd started a new life and always hoped that she would get back in touch. However, her sister Anne did suspect that Reet had died at some point over the years as she probably would have gotten in touch. As it didn't quite sit right with her that Reet had never gotten in touch with them. Sadly, Anne was right, but she couldn't have known how violent or tragic Reet's death had been. She also couldn't have known that Reed died at the tender age of 19, just weeks after they received her final letter. On the 16th of November 1969, a young boy was birdwatching on the infamous Mulholland Drive in Los Angeles. This 55-mile-long road was full of steep hills, embankments and bushes. It is in one of these bushes where he found Reet's body. The police believe that her killer or killers murdered her somewhere else and had rolled her body down an embankment from Mulholland Drive, hoping that her body would roll far enough down the hill that she would never be found or that her remains would be significantly decomposed by the time she was discovered. Thankfully, the boy found her when he did, as Reet had only been dead for around a day or two beforehand, meaning that she had been killed on either the 14th of November or the 15th. It was very clear to investigators on the scene that Reet had been stabbed several times, however it wasn't until the autopsy that she had been stabbed a shocking 157 times. Reet had tried to fight off her attacker as she had a lot of defensive wounds on her hands, Detective Lou Riviera, who is working on her case in today's time, appeared on the Fifth Estate documentary about her case and stated, quote, "...more than likely she was unable to defend herself any other way other than to use her hands to either block the attacker or eventually to grab onto the knife. So the way we see it is that she was immobilised, probably on her back, and the person might have been on top of her as he was inflicting the wounds." Unquote. The police were able to determine that she had no drugs or alcohol in her system and that she hadn't been sexually assaulted. However, the one thing they didn't know was her name. See, the body found on Mulholland Drive was indeed Reet Jurvetson, but the police didn't know that and she went unidentified for 46 years. During this time, she was known as Jane Doe 59 and detectives had no idea who she really was. Reet's family never reported her missing, which has been heavily criticised online, but I think we need to remember it was a totally different time back then. The hippie lifestyle was very popular, especially in LA, and it wasn't unusual for people to flock there to embrace the culture, and many of them stayed. There also wasn't as many ways to communicate back then as there are now. All they really had was regular mail, so people who lived far away from their loved ones were often out of contact for a long time. Also, Reet was said to be very free-spirited and given that she had moved out of her family home at 16 years old, she was clearly very independent so it might not have seemed odd or out of character for her to be out of touch. Also, even if they had reported her missing, it might not have made much of a difference in terms of her body being identified. Communication regarding missing persons in Jane and John Doe's between different states in America leaves a lot to be desired, let alone communication between different countries. I don't think that any of us have the right to judge her family for this decision. I also think it's unfair given that both of her parents have died and are unable to defend themselves against these comments being made online. So I just wanted to state that before we go any further forward. In the early 2000s, Detective Cliff Shepherd accidentally stumbled across a box in the LAPD archive room, which had evidence in Reet's case, or as she was known back then, Jane Doe 59. He opened the box expecting to just find police reports and he was very shocked when he found physical evidence in the box as well. The reason he was so surprised by this was because according to LEPD policy, the physical evidence should have been destroyed years earlier. This evidence, which I believe was Reet's clothing, was their only shot of getting DNA from her, as her body had been cremated years earlier and her ashes had been scattered over a mass grave. This case is a great example of why policies and procedures regarding Jane and John Doe's should maybe be looked at and revised. If that evidence had been destroyed like it was meant to have been, REIT would never have been identified. Also, I know that other Jane and John Doe's have been cremated before but it just doesn't sit right with me. First of all, new forensic techniques are being discovered all the time and these advances can gleam information from these Jane and John Doe's that gives them a higher chance of being identified. However, they're both Bodies are not just pieces of evidence. They are people whose families have the right to lay them to rest in a way that they want to and the state shouldn't take that away from them because sometimes laying a loved one to rest gives families a sense of closure that they need to start the grieving process. If you have listened to this podcast for a while, you will know that I feel very passionate about Jane and John Doe cases. So that's another thing I just wanted to get off my chest before we move on. Detective Shepherd decided to release a post-mortem photo of Reet to the public in the hopes that someone would recognise her. Releasing these photos is quite controversial, however it is usually only done when the photos are not gruesome and the person is still recognisable, both of which applied in Reet's case. Releasing the photos did not pay off initially, but eventually it did. In 2016, one of Reet's high school friends, Glinda Green, was wondering what had become of Reet, so she went searching for her online but couldn't find any trace of her. That was until she started searching NAMIS, the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, and came across entry 2997, which was the profile of Jane Doe 59. The minute that she looked at the postmortem photos, she knew that she'd finally found Reet. She contacted another one of Reet's friends, Ilma Simon, who also agreed that the photo bore a strong resemblance to their friend. They then called her sister Anne, who was initially delighted when she was told that they had found Reet. She assumed that she was alive and they had been able to track her down. That joy soon turned to heartache when Glinda and Ilma then told her that Reet had been murdered. Anne then got in touch with the LEPD, who agreed that the resemblance between Jane Doe fifty nine and Reet Jervetson was strong enough to test her DNA against the DNA they were able to extract from her clothes years earlier. It was a match, and finally the police were able to determine that Jane Doe 59 and Reed Sylvia Jurvetson were one and the same. When Anne was interviewed for the Fifth Estate documentary on Reed's case, she was visibly distressed, which is totally understandable. She said in part, quote, Finally, after all these years, we are faced with the hard facts my sister was savagely killed. It was not what I wanted to hear. I can hardly grasp how she could have been stabbed over 150 times. It is devastating. I try to draw comfort from the coroner's report that at least she wasn't raped, nor were there signs of drugs or alcohol in her system. Nevertheless, I am horrified to think how terribly frightened and alone she must have felt as she died." If you are interested in this case, I would highly recommend watching the Fifth Estate documentary, which is available on YouTube. Watching Anne talk about her sister on this documentary should be a reminder to everyone that even though Reet's murder happened over 50 years ago, it is still very raw to her family, as if it had happened only yesterday. It is easy for people to make assumptions and comments about these cases as they are not emotionally involved, but I think people sometimes forget that these victims have families who care about them deeply. They knew and loved them dearly, so please be very mindful when commenting about these cases online. Anyway, we are going to now discuss the theories in this case, which, like all theories we discuss in this podcast, are all pure speculation. As I mentioned earlier, Reid was stabbed 157 times, which is very excessive and violent. This led the police to believe that it was either a crime of passion and or a frenzied attack, which I think is important to state before we get into these theories. Even before Reet was identified, the police suspected that she might have been an associate of the Manson family cult, who were active in LA during this time. In fact, it was only three months before Reet was killed that the members of this infamous cult murdered Sharon Tate, her unborn baby, Jay Sebrick, Abigail Folgar, Wojtek Frykowski and Stephen Parent. Reet's body was found just five miles away from the home where these five people were killed. Reet bore a striking resemblance to Sharon Tate, which, according to the Fifth Estate documentary, many people had commented on while she was alive. If the Manson family are responsible for her murder, I am not sure that the fact that Reet looked like Sharon would have had anything to do with it. It is unknown why the Manson family killed Sharon or the other victims but the motive was not thought to be personal. They knew that Sharon had definitely died from her wounds because it was all over the news at the time. So it's not like one of them would have seen Reet, thought she was Sharon and decided to finish what they had started. What I think could be possible is that one of the members of the cult stumbled across Reet and were struck with how similar she looked to Sharon, maybe seeing her ignited some rage within them, or maybe they got a flashback from when they killed Sharon and went into a violent and possibly PTSD related rage and they killed her. Which would definitely explain the frenzied nature of the attack. I don't know, this is just something that came to my mind while I was researching this case. There is also a lot of speculation that Reet might have actually spent time at the Span Ranch, which is where many members of the Manson family cult lived. Historically, cults are notoriously good at luring in young, unsuspecting people, so I don't think this is too far-fetched. Especially since a caretaker who worked at the ranch told the police that a young woman going by the name of Sherry had spent a lot of time at the ranch and she looked very much like Jane Doe 59, aka Reet Jervidson. It is possible that the man got Reet's name wrong or maybe she was using an alias for some reason, but I want to make it clear that if she did fall in with the Manson family, this does not mean that she was involved in any of their illegal activities or was even aware of it. The cult had plenty of friends and acquaintances who were not involved in their crimes. However, it has been speculated that Reet might have witnessed the death of one of their members, John Hoyt. He went by the nickname Zero, which is how I'm going to refer to him going forward. Now, I don't want this episode to be about the Manson family, so I'm going to keep this part of the episode as brief as I can. On the 5th of November 1969, Zero was found dead at 28 Clubhouse Avenue, another property that the cult was known to frequent, and many members of the cult were present when Zero died. His cause of death was a single gunshot wound to the head, and even though there are several inconsistencies with the physical evidence and witness statements, his death was ruled a suicide. If you want to learn more about this case, I encourage you to research it more on your own. I might even cover it in another episode. However, the theory goes that Zero was actually murdered and Reet was there when it happened. Charles Manson was known to be very paranoid. He did instruct his followers to kill people who he thought would betray him or go to the police and Reet's murder did occur just one week after Zero died so I think it's possible. However apparently the LAPD did interview everyone who was present when Zero died and according to the sources I was able to find Reet or Sherry as she may have called herself back then was not one of them. But I do want to repeat that this is all pure speculation. We don't even know that she was there. The police have questioned Charles Manson about Reet's case but they didn't get any significant information so it has not been ruled out that they were involved involved, but it has not been proven that they killed her either. At this stage, it is just a theory. The next theory we're going to discuss in Reet's case is connected to another murder that happened in Los Angeles about six weeks later. Marina Habe was 17 years old when she was abducted at 3.30am from outside her parents' house on the 30th of December 1969, and her body was found two days later on New Year's Day 1970. Like Reet, she was found fully clothed, had been stabbed several times in the neck, her carotid artery had been severed, and she was discovered just 30 metres away from where Reep was found. Neither of the women had been sexually assaulted and they were both found with valuables on their person, so it is unlikely that either of the murders were committed in the furtherance of a robbery. The similarity between the two cases did not go unnoticed as Detective Shepherd told the media, quote, There's differences, but the location's just striking to me. The hundreds yards or so of each other. Marina's body was found off of Mulholland, very close to where Reet's body was. I mean, that's pretty damning right there. I just need more information. I wouldn't say they're definitely." the same murderer, but boy, you've pegged my interest and I want to know, unquote. Detective Lou Riviera, who is a detective currently working on Reet's case, isn't as eager to connect the cases, stating, quote, We don't have DNA from Marina's case, so we can't say, yeah, it's related. We don't have anything except for two similar circumstances. If we ever find anyone and he says yeah, I did both of them, then okay, give us specifics on each one. But as of right now, we don't have enough to say that they're related." There is also speculation that Reet's case might be connected to the disappearance of Robin Graham. I covered Robin's case back in episode 40 of the podcast, so I'm not going to delve deep into it here, and I would encourage anyone who wants to learn more about her case to go and listen to that episode. Robin disappeared exactly one year after Reet's body was found, but it seemed as though she was lured into a vehicle on the Hollywood freeway. They were both young, attractive women around the same age, but other than that and the fact that they both went missing in LA, there isn't a lot that these cases have in common. Some people who have looked into Robin's case also believe that she may have been a victim of the Manson family cult, just like in Reet's case, but just like in Reet's case, this is pure speculation. There is actually less evidence that links Robin to the Mansons than there is in Reek's case. Again, I would encourage you to go listen to episode 40 if you want to examine this possible connection for yourself, but personally, I think it's a bit of a stretch. In most murder investigations, the police will investigate those closest to the victim. However, police have never been able to track down Reet's boyfriend at the time, Jean. As far as I know, he has not been listed as a missing person. Police have just been unable to trace him, as Reet's friends and family cannot remember his last name. However, he is a person of interest in Reet's murder. Detective Riviera is very eager to find Jean, stating, quote, He is the best lead we have. No one deserves what happened to her. Someone might be out there who is responsible and it is our job to find out who it is and bring them to justice if we can. We call him a person of interest until we find out who he is. He is definitely someone who is at the heart of the investigation, so our question is, who is he? Where did he live? Why didn't he report her missing? Again, it could all be innocent and you know he might have left and just lost contact. But we definitely want to retrace the steps, especially on the day she was found. Unquote. In the spring of 1970, Reet's friend Gilda Green bumped into a friend of Jean, who was also called Jean, and she asked him how Reet was getting on in Los Angeles. She told the Fifth Estate documentary, quote, And I went right up to him and started talking to him, and I was asking him about Reet. And he said, Oh yeah, she was with us for a couple of weeks, and then she left on her own, and everything was fine. She was happy. Unquote. The police haven't been able to track down this Jean either and they have created sketches of both men hoping that someone will recognise them and come forward. It is important to point out that neither of these men are suspects but they might have important information about Reet's life before she was murdered that could generate new leads. All we really know about these men at the moment is that they are both called Jean, lived in Montreal at some point, that Reet's boyfriend Jean looked like Jimmy Morrison and he moved to Los Angeles in 1970 if any of this information rings even the faintest of bells, I would encourage you to Google this case and to find the police sketch as it is available online. And if you know who this man is or have an inkling that you might know who he is, I will as always give contact information for the police at the end of this episode, however it will also be in the description. Another possible suspect was discussed in the Fifth Estate documentary as they claimed that a man who lived in the same apartment complex as Reed did had actually tried to set a man on fire on on the same street where Reet was found. Now, I don't know when exactly this happened, just that it was some point in the late 1960s this man has never been publicly named but we do know that he had an addiction to heroin and he did serve time in prison for this crime. When Detective Riviera was asked if this man was looked into as a suspect, he was very vague, stating, quote, we will follow up on any lead that we believe is viable to the investigation, unquote. The police do, however, have a piece of evidence that could lead them to another suspect. This evidence comes in the form of a pair of glasses, which was found five days after rape was discovered, but the location of the glasses was very, very close to where Reet's body had been found. I don't know why the police believe these glasses are connected to the case, because it seems to me that someone could have just lost them there, but maybe the police know something that we don't. Maybe they have Reet's DNA on them, we just don't know. We do know that the glasses were thick black frames, were made by the brand Liberty, and the owner was short-sighted. I know that this really isn't a lot to go on, but I really hope that advances in forensic technology can lead the police to finding Reet's Ree was only 19 years old when she was murdered. She had barely lived and someone cruelly took her life well before her time. Sadly both of Reet's parents died before she was identified so they never knew what became of their daughter. Both of her siblings are still alive though and I really hope that the police are able to bring her killer to justice and that her friends and family will finally receive some closure. Cases this old might seem hopeless but there are loads of cases that are just as old as Reet's if not older that are currently being solved which is absolutely amazing. We need to keep spreading away awareness to these cases and hope that someone who knows something will hear it and come forward. And you never know, their information might be the key to cracking this case wide open. If you think you could possibly be that person, please contact the LAPD Cold Case Homicide Special Section on 213-486-6810. That is everything I have for you today. Thank you for listening to the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night.